0: Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. In the late 1970s, a man named Jim Springer and another man named Jim Lewis became instant celebrities. Newspapers wrote articles about them, TV programs wanted to interview them, and then they hit the big time, The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Yes,
1: still are. Would you welcome please Jim Lewis and Jim Springer?
0: The remarkable thing about Springer and Lewis was that they weren't all that remarkable. They didn't have sparkling celebrity like personalities or leading men looks. They weren't famous politicians or award winning athletes or CEOs. But the men, who were both in their late 30s at the time, did have some odd things in common, as Johnny Carson discovered.
1: Now, what are some of the similarities that have happened in your lives? Well, we uh, we Jim's been married three times. I've been married twice. His first wife, name is the same as mine. His first wife is the same name as right. yours. And her second wife, are both first name. Uh, we both named our first son the same, James Allen. Uh, we both have uh, brothers named Larry. Uh, oh, and we both, we both uh, named her dogs Toy.
0: Which was an incredible slate of similarities. But it didn't end there.
1: Uh, we both went on vacation in the same place, in Florida, exact same beach. Right. Yeah. Now, one or two okay. of these things, I mean, it, it might not be so unusual that you both name your child the same name, right? Okay. But as the psychologist, where, where do they... Uh, Where'd they take you? some scientists want to do... Probably went to the University of Minnesota. If I understand the really
0: reason bad. that Jim Springer and Jim Lewis were taken to the University of Minnesota was because, as unremarkable as they might have seemed individually, they were a goldmine of similarities. Which was amazing because they didn't meet each other until they were 39 years old. Well, not unless you count the 10 months that they had spent together long, long before. When we find these things... In twins raised apart this gives us a whole new way of thinking about things Nancy Siegel is an expert on twins and she studied the two men who became known as the Jim twins identical twins separated four weeks after birth and each adopted by different families so for example what could possibly drive somebody to name the
2: children alike well maybe it's because they like the sound of the name James Allen or maybe they feel that it's important to name child after their father because they're both both fathers were named James or maybe they are thinking about somebody famous with that kind of a name we don't know for sure what it is but this opens up a whole new world of
0: explanations and possibilities that is very very exciting Siegel served as the assistant director of the Minnesota Center for Twin and Adoption Research and she now directs the Twin Study Center at California State University Fullerton She's seen lots and lots of identical twins brought back together after almost a lifetime apart. And when that happens, it can be a little shocking. There was a pair of Scottish ladies who ate toast
2: by cutting it into fours and leaving one piece uneaten. I I mean, maybe it's the idea of self-restraint. I don't know. But see, again, this lets us think
0: about alternative explanations for why we do what we do. Oh, and I should say, Nancy Siegel is a twin herself. Someone who grew up in a world fascinated by people who seemed interchangeable. when When Siegel was a kid in the 1960s, the Patty Duke show about identical cousins was a hit on TV. That show followed on the heels of the Oscar-nominated film The Parent Trap, about two twins who switch places.
1: The nerve of her coming here with your face. What are you going to do about it? Do? What well, did I ever say can I do, silly? I'd bite off her nose. <laughs> then she wouldn't look like you.
0: But Nancy Siegel's sister was a fraternal twin, and she didn't feel anything like her. Well, we didn't look alike. We didn't behave alike.
2: We had different tastes and preferences and many, many different things. And in fact, we grew up in New York City on the seventh floor of a big apartment building. And people thought the twins on the seventh floor were the two sisters who lived next door to us because they looked a lot more
0: alike than we did. Yet somehow Siegel's own experience as a twin was intriguing enough that it became her life's work. I was so fascinated with The fact that
2: we were two children in the same family, with the same parents, same experiences, and same friendships, yet we ended up being so very different. And that really sparked my interest in human behavior in general, and in twin studies in particular. And in fact, I've made
0: the study of human behavior from a genetic perspective my entire career. Siegel says fraternal twins are like any siblings. They share, on average, 50% of their genes. But identical twins who share 100% of their genes, they allow us to get a sense of which parts of us are baked in the cake and which parts are influenced by our environment. They tell us, as you'll hear, about the effects of parenting, what might happen when you push your kids to practice piano, or when you expose them to books. Identical twins can help us understand why we behave the way we do, and almost every discipline finds twins extremely useful economists can
2: use twins to understand if there's a genetic influence on wage earnings and if education influences wage earnings. Political scientists can use twins to understand if there's a genetic influence on political affiliation and political investment. And people interested in religious studies have used twins to understand whether or not there's a a genetic component to religiosity, the extent to which you Mm -hmm. Are invested in a religion, or how important religion is in your life, so that it brings a very new perspective to many, many different disciplines. And when I go to conferences, I'm just amazed
0: at how many people are using twin studies in really creative ways. Hmm. It's interesting, you know, like to take religiosity, for example. Um, I guess what you got is people looking at identical twins and saying, "Well, gee, if this identical twin is very religious and this identical twin isn't, re- their their twin is not religious at all." there's something here that's not quite as genetic as they both have brown eyes.
2: Well, of course. Now, let me point out that just because a trait has genetic influence does not mean that it's completely genetic. Nothing Mm -hmm. is. Everything is influenced by the environment. And so when we study religiosity, we compare the similarities of identical and fraternal twins. We find that about 50% of the individual differences from person to person seem to be explained by genetic Influences, But that also means that about 50% are explained by environmental ones. And what's so fascinating about religiosity is that when they studied it first in young twins living at home, they found no genetic component at all. And why was that? Because the kids were living at home under their parents' thumb and had to do what the parents said. Right. But when they began to study older twins, adults who had moved away from home, and who had much more control over their environment, that's when they began
0: to see the genetic effects. Let's talk about uh, people being reared apart. What did you find when you uh, were able to sort of reunite people as adults and and look at, you know, how their lives compared? Here they are, twins. They they do not know each other until they're adults. What did these twins, what did they have in common? What were they like when they met each other as adults? Well, of course, to meet a twin for the first time
2: is a very exciting experience for most of them because most of these adults as children were adoptees and so never really uh, looked like anyone in the family or acted like them. So to suddenly meet somebody who looks so much like you and acts so much like you is quite an extraordinary experience. The identicals were, of course, more alike than the fraternals, so I'll talk more about them. Okay. The identical twins were very alike in virtually every measured trait their intelligence was very similar, their Hmm. personalities, their hobbies, their interests, the way they dressed. The interesting thing is that when we compare identical twins raised apart to identical twins raised together, we find that the personality similarity is the same. And that's a very, very important finding because what that means is that living with somebody does not make you alike. What makes you alike are your common genes. And You can ask the question, how is it that two people, even though they're identical, are raised apart and end up with such similar lives? You know, Kara, what we believe happens is that all of us gravitate towards certain elements of our environments. You know, we like crowds or we don't, or we like amusement parks, or we like schools. And so we craft our environments actively within the environment in which we're raised, And we believe that that's what identical twins do as well. Well,
0: one of the really interesting things, I feel like it also just kind of begs the question of parenting and how much parenting matters. Um, I mean, like if I think about, you know... um, the question of, like, should you buy girls pink stuff, you know, and and doll? This is a question that that parents think about. You know, should you buy them, like, Barbie kind of things or should you buy them engineering kits and make sure you don't sort of put them in a box that's like a traditionally girly box? Well, I mean, if, if parenting doesn't really matter and they're going to be inclined towards math if they're inclined towards math and they're going to be inclined towards pink if they're inclined towards pink— Does it kind of make you rethink like all the sort of analysis that people put into parenting?
2: Well, I think it lets us rethink the role of parents, but it does not in any way diminish the role of parents. I believe that parents have the enormous responsibility of being attentive and sensitive to each child's individual tastes, temperaments, and talents. And parents know that children come into the world with their own interests and predispositions. In fact, to my mind, the most intelligent parents are the parents of fraternal twins because they had these two kids who were aged match who are very, very different at the same time. Hmm. So parenting is not something that we should toss aside. And also keep in mind that the genes are not deterministic. Genes work in probabilistic ways. They make things more likely. They don't make things absolutely sure to happen. And so if a child is mathematically inclined, well, the child needs supports, the child needs books and opportunities to practice that skill. Without those, the child may not develop. So I think those are very, very important things to keep in mind when we think of the role of mothers and fathers.
0: Have you seen that with identical twins that, you know, like if you have two identical twins separated at birth, have you seen sort of the the differences in parenting practices? Because obviously these are two kids. They get separated and they have two completely different sets of parents. Have you seen, you know, things play out where maybe both kids are mathematically inclined, but one parent sets of parents gives kids math books and the other doesn't pay any attention to that? Well, it's very interesting the way that works out, and
2: these kinds of things can work out in kind of surprising, unanticipated ways. We had a pair of twins who were raised in different families in England, one in a home with a lot of educational opportunities and one with a home with very few. And yet, the child with very few educational opportunities was intensely interested in reading, got herself a library card, and when they met, they had the same level of intelligence, and they were the avid readers of the same books. Now, In another case, the parenting practices were quite different when it came to music lessons. In one case, the mother and father really were quite insistent that their child practice the piano, and in the other family, it was more relaxed. But what happened was that the family that had the more relaxed practice produced a concert pianist, and the other family that was very insistent on lessons did not. So these things can work in very, very um, idiosyncratic fashion.
0: But but so so then that brings me back again to the sort of power of parenting. And I do think parents are left wondering, well, then maybe I shouldn't push that hard with piano lessons or piano practice, because if it's going to be it's sort of if it's fated to be, it's going to be. And maybe I'm maybe I'm pushing too hard. Well, I think that parents need to just be attentive to what's going on.
2: Certainly, if a child is given piano lessons and the child likes it and is good at it, I think parents should encourage that. But ultimately, it's the child who's going to decide once that child gets to be an adult. Certainly, as I said earlier, parents need to provide children with the opportunities and the events that will bring out these talents. And that's an enormous responsibility.
0: We're going to pause for a moment here and come back with Nancy Siegel, a national expert on twins. She's a psychology professor at Cal State Fullerton. After the break, we'll look at what twin studies tell us about our own ability to avoid health problems and more about how you got that personality of yours. You can find this whole interview at our website, innovationhub.org, or on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Sisters and brothers, brothers and sisters, ain't we everyone?
0: So if you're a fan of this show, two quick things you might want to know. First, we've got some pretty nice-looking T-shirts now, as well as phone cases and water bottles and more. You can link to our store at our website, innovationhub.org. Just scroll down on the right side. Also on our website, you can sign up for our newsletter, which will not just give you a sneak peek at what's coming up. We've also got staff picks for stuff we're reading and watching and sometimes what we're cooking. That's at innovationhub.org. There's a city in Ohio, not too far from Cleveland. It's a fairly small city, and one that has become world famous for a parade it holds every summer. Many of the people who come to the parade have spent their lives as objects of fascination.
1: So you want to know where we're from?
0: Yeah,
2: where we're from.
1: Okay, originally from East Boston, and then uh, we graduated college together. Then we moved down to the D.C. area to work for the government. We started work the same day. We retired one day apart.
0: The city is Twinsburg, Ohio, and every year twins, young and old, converge and meet others like them. Oh my God, we love
2: it. We are always together. Inseparable. Yeah. We know each other's thoughts. We're always uh, without without saying.
1: This is like my best friend on the God's green earth. It just feels like having a regular sister. We have the same friends.
0: Nancy Siegel has spent a lifetime studying twins, and perhaps more importantly, what twins can teach those of us who aren't twins. She says that identical twins raised apart tend to have strikingly similar IQs and strikingly similar interests, even though they were brought up in completely different families. Which makes you wonder whether we're shaped more by what's inside us than what's outside. I usually say that parents of one child are
2: environmentalists and parents of two children are geneticists because parents of two children really understand that children come into the world as just different people with different interests
0: and abilities and talents. Siegel has served as the assistant director of the Minnesota Center for Twin and Adoption Research and now directs the Twin Studies Center at Cal State Fullerton. And she says that twin studies have pushed many scholars to rethink the tremendous power of genes – For example, here's an interesting question, how much do your genes determine how smart you are? We do find that the identical twins raised apart
2: are more alike in intelligence than the fraternal twins raised apart. The identical twins raised apart are not quite as alike as the identical twins raised together. Now, an interesting finding is that when you look at identical twins raised apart, the child who might have had a much better educational background tends to do better on these quantitative tests. But nevertheless, the two pair, the two people in the pair are still more similar to one another than they are to anybody else in the sample.
0: So, you know, environment plays a role, but genetics plays a role at the same time. Hmm. So let's talk for a minute about health. Um, If personality, if intelligence, um, if they are somewhat similar, I I wonder about the health of identical twins and whether you find that, like, lifestyle has any impact.
2: Well, it it really varies in terms of genetic influence from health trait to health trait. But overall, what twins have taught us is that there are genetic components to this. But they've also taught us that there are things that we can do. Now, I have seen twins where one is obese and one is not. Hmm. And I've seen twins where uh, one has allergies and one does not. And so the fascinating thing about these cases is what is it about the twin who's not affected that we can use to prevent these conditions in the general public. And that's where twins are becoming so increasingly popular now among people who look at epigenetics and molecular genetics to see how we can intervene in people who might be at risk for these things and prevent the recurrence of disease. Um,
0: Let me play a clip for you. Uh, I did a a recent interview, 2018, with uh, Robert Sapolsky, uh, a professor of biology at Stanford, His contention is essentially that twin studies are valued by scholars because they start from day one, right? You kind of have this purity because these two kids go off to two different environments. Um, His feeling is that's not really the case. I want to play a little clip of what he says for you and get your take on it. Uh, Here's Robert Sapolsky.
1: Probably the biggest problem that plagues both twin studies, but especially adoption studies is adoption studies in particular is predicated on the notion that okay you get a kid and you adopt them away 2 seconds after they're born and instead of growing up in the middle of the amazon they grow up in the gobi desert and their adoptive parents all they get from them is environment and their biological parents all they got from them was genes because after all they were adopted away within seconds of birth and thus if you see more similarities to the biological parents, you could then attribute it to genes case closed. And what has completely done in that whole assumption is the fact that environment doesn't begin at birth. You've just spent nine very intimate months sharing your mother's circulation, your mother's sensory experiences in lots of cases, and it turns out that matters enormously. Adult risk of... Metabolic syndrome, obesity, hypertension, clinical depression, schizophrenia, all of those are significantly modulated by prenatal environment.
0: Nancy, does that shared fetal environment diminish or compromise the power of twin studies? Uh, Not at all, Kara. And
2: with all due respect to Dr. Sapolsky, who's a well known scholar, Sharing a womb for identical twins actually makes them less alike than more alike, and the reason is that the vast majority of them are subjected to some form of mutual circulation, which can lead to physical differences, behavioral differences, what have you. Uh, If you look at the literature on diabetes, on schizophrenia, you will see that you do not find 100% concordance you find instead that for schizophrenia, it's about 40% similarity. That is if one twin is schizophrenic, the other one has a 40% chance of becoming so. Diabetes is about 50%, multiple sclerosis about 50%. So that if the shared environment was so critical as he seems to claim, then the twins should be similarly affected, and they're not. Even when it comes to identical twins born to mothers infected with HIV, the twin further down in the vaginal canal more, more uh, exposed to the vaginal mucosa, is more likely to be at risk than the other twin.
0: Is there two final questions about things that have kind of surprised you or impressed you? Is there a piece of research that you remember hearing, you know, a paper delivered or, or just something that you read, that whether it goes to economics or psychology or medicine about twins that really just shocked and kind of surprised you and made you think differently about something?
2: Well, one was something I mentioned earlier, and that was that the personality similarity of identicals raised apart is just as alike as identical twins raised together. I would have thought that twins raised apart would have been less alike. Uh, But again, that just shows that genes do influence uh, the similarities in people living together. And I guess the other thing that surprised me through the Minnesota study of Twins Raised Apart was the fact that we would see similarities in so many atypical or odd behaviors, such as how you hold a can of beer or how you eat a piece of toast or the fact that you like to scratch your ear with a paper clip and you get another <laughs> pair that used to wear rubber bands around their wrists all the time. So these are the kinds of things that I find so intriguing and I'm wondering how we go from genes at the molecular level to these things at the observable level. And along the way, I've also discovered some very rare types of reared apart twins and those are the ones who were accidentally switched at birth. Hmm. So. Uh, for example my most recent book called accidental brothers profiles the history and research of two sets of identical twins born 150 miles apart in Bo- in colombia south america they're now 29 years old and what happened was that at day 1 when one little boy was very sick he was brought 150 miles to bogota to a better hospital hmm. for treatment but they accidentally brought back the wrong twin oh my and so gosh. they grew up as two sets of unrelated brothers thinking they were fraternal twins, and that has been a very, very fascinating study for me, Uh, that book Accidental Brothers. We have a lot of research in there, a lot of the um, social relationship aspects. You know, what I don't find terribly surprising, but what I find always intriguing is just the social rapport, the intimacy that identical twins raised apart. Develop between themselves. It's as if they've known each other all their lives. Hmm. And as one twin told me when he met his identical brother at the age of 32, he said, You know, it's not like we're meeting for the first time. It's more like we've been on vacation and we're simply filling in the details. <laughs> I thought that
0: was a great way to express it. Nancy Siegel is a psychology professor at Cal State Fullerton. She's the author of Entwined Lives Twins and What They Tell Us About Human Behavior. Nancy, thanks for your time. Thank you, Kara. Piece of info that might interest you here. Nancy Siegel says there are not only lots more fraternal twins than there once were, mostly because of technologies like in vitro fertilization. There are also, because of those same technologies, more identical twins. Somehow the increased handling of the embryo can cause it to split, she says. But the increase in identical twins is still tiny compared with fraternal twins. We've got lots more on twin studies, from the Jim twins who were on Jenny Carson, Two twins accidentally switched at birth on our website, innovationhub.org. And now an update on an interview we aired a couple of weeks ago. In the seven plus years that Innovation Hub has existed, I think I'm pretty safe in saying we've never received so many responses to one interview. And to be fair it was a provocative one.
1: Why would studying something that you're never going to use be be so important for success in the modern
0: world? That's Brian Kaplan, a professor of economics at George Mason University, and someone who's been asking himself for a long time
1: why we teach
0: what we teach
1: in school. Why is it you've got to do three or four years of foreign language and then not even learn it and then see that doors are closed to you unless you do it? At least the doubts were there for, for almost as long as I can remember.
0: Kaplan is the author of the book The Case Against Education, and he says lots of classes that kids take in grade school and high school don't have much of an effect on them. As adults, they don't know much poetry or French or American history, so why spend so much time and money on things that few kids are ever going to use? He thinks we should offer more diverse options to students, especially kids who would be more engaged on a vocational track. And he argues college shouldn't be such an important goal. If it wasn't put on a pedestal, maybe we wouldn't live in an era of such huge degree inflation. And our debt burdens might be a bit lighter.
1: It used to be the idea that a secretary would need a college degree. This would have seemed crazy to people. And now if you're entry level, it's almost required uh, to, you know, just to be a secretary. So this is one where we can actually do more with less right and you know that's that's where I always start and I would start there especially because it's such an unpopular thing to say I'm almost the only one saying it so I feel like I've got to
0: well we heard from plenty of people who question Kaplan's premise I don't think we should throw out things like music and foreign languages because these things challenge us in different ways and they keep creative pathways open That's Susie Gologli, a kitchen and bathroom remodeling designer from Columbia Maryland and learning a foreign language can help you better understand and appreciate the the way that your own language works. For example, like, in French, the adjective comes after the noun. In English, the adjective comes before the noun. So to see something structured differently makes you need those descriptive words, like adjective and noun, to be able to describe how does this language work differently than the one that I'm currently speaking. Glogli says having a broad range of courses offered is important – And though she knows there's lots of debate about how effective America's schools are, she feels good about the public schools that her two kids attend in Maryland. She does agree with Kaplan's notion that we've seen degree inflation, but she says it's logical on the part of employers who feel like high school degrees may not come with the math and English skills that they used to. Meanwhile, we heard from lots of educators. Some disagreed with Kaplan and some didn't disagree as much as you might think, like John Beckwith, a Spanish teacher from Colorado.
1: The Spanish is a class that's an elective here. We don't have many electives. And so I would say probably 60 percent of the kids that are in my class don't want to be in the class.
0: Beckwith says that when he went to school in the 1970s, kids learned to work on cars. The school got together and built a house every year. And one of the goals of education should be to find something that really engages each student. We have a
1: tendency to sort of not want to take away somebody's chance to be an astronaut or a brain surgeon or whatever. I think by the time somebody's 14 years old, the parents, the student um, professionals that are teachers can kind of make an assessment that some students would be maybe better suited for something that's, uh, that would provide them more immediate employment.
0: Samantha Whitelaw, who taught in Baltimore Public Schools, says she's not against vocational education, but she wants to make sure that all students are treated equally. A lot of people are just so quick to say that a system's not working. It's that we need to get rid of it. And I am very big into just pushing for reform and trying to change the system to make it work for everyone. Thanks so much to everybody who wrote in and who called. We always love hearing from you on any topic. Just email us, innovationhub at wgbh.org. And if you want to hear the original Brian Kaplan segment that started all this, it's on our website, innovationhub.org.